Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode number 30 of the That's So Mets podcast, a very special edition of the show today as we recap and grade the Mets offseason, the whole thing, the signings, the trades, the moves you wanted to happen, not the moves you didn't. And of course, we're going to answer a pretty good amount of your questions today uh, later on the show. So it's been an exciting offseason covering the Mets. I know there are a lot of varying opinions. There may be a mover left in their back pocket here as there are plenty of free agents still on the market and the Mets do have some needs. But Joe and I feel like we're at the point of the offseason where it's time to just put a button on this whole thing. So, Joe, how are we doing? Ready to do this today? Ready to do this and ready to turn the page on the hot stove season. I mean, the Mets still obviously could do a couple more things, but the the podcast now has to turn to a baseball podcast, which is actually going to be pretty exciting that we're going to, you know, get back to ultimately what this is all about is the Mets and baseball. So getting out of hot stove a little bit, little less talking about rumors, acquisitions, trades, stuff like that. You know, we'll, we'll hit one in the question, uh, trade idea, but yeah, I'm ready to just focus on spring training and, and follow that. I can't wait. Absolutely. Wins and losses. And, you know, honestly, at the end of the day, we were very excited for this offseason. And I know you and I specifically were not disappointed. While some people might be disappointed, I think the Mets came away uh, a much better, a much more improved baseball team, a team that everyone expects to compete to win their division. So let's get right to it. We'll start with some of the notable, you know, upper echelon signings, the ones that were significant or somewhat significant investments. I think the the one that we can really start with is James McCann. And, and that's a guy that got a four-year, $40.6 million deal to be the Mets' immediate starting catcher. And basically, that contract is the bridge until Alvarez is ready to come up to the big leagues if he turns into the player that we all expect him to be. So McCann and Trevor May a reliever that got a two-year $15.5 million deal, which is good money for a reliever, a player that has been rock solid for about three years straight now at least. Those were kind of the two early signings, along with Marcus Stroman, who took the qualifying off for a one-year $18.9 million deal uh, to really kick this thing off. And, and though there is no doubt there were huge needs. Stroman, a middle-of-the-rotation starter. McCann, your starting catcher. 
and May a very reliable arm out of the bullpen that that definitely needed a boost because you just can't put all or much stock into Familia or Batanzas going into this year. So just a quick summary, Joe, what was your takeaway of how they played this market? Obviously going after reliever early, kind of passing up on JT Real Muto, who seemed like he wanted to wait, and almost lucking into the fact, something we don't talk about enough, that Stroman decided to take that qualifying offer. Yeah, they definitely lucked into Stroman taking it, but I also understand why he did. So I think that's one of those things that it worked out for him and it really worked out for the Mets because I am I have questions that if Stroman, if Stroman declined the qualifying, off, qualifying offer, I don't know if the Mets would have signed him to that three or four year deal. They may not have. So we may not have Marcus Stroman in this rotation and may have been searching for, for a different arm if he were to have passed on it. Uh, McCann, you know, we, we've gone through this uh, at least a couple of times on the podcast. The Mets handled the catching position, in my opinion, perfectly right. JT Realmuto ended up signing a perfectly reasonable contract. It wouldn't have worked out that way for the Mets if the Mets were involved in him. You know, if they waited out Realmuto, they would have had James McCann go to the Angels or, or somewhere else. And then they'd have to convince Realmuto to leave Philly and... There was rumors that maybe he wasn't too keen on New York. And who knows what the contract might have actually had to look like. And you would have been bent over a barrel that you basically would have had to give him whatever he wanted. Or you wouldn't have had a catcher. So I I think the Mets handled the catching position right. I'm excited about McCann. You know, he had his press conference today and he says all the right things. You know, I... I think he's going to be good. I'm certainly very excited that he's the Mets catcher. It's certainly a big upgrade over Wilson Ramos. And then in regards to Trevor May, you know, it it works. I I think he fell in, like, they they were able to get it done early, and he ended up falling in line with what, you know, the better-ish relievers. He wasn't the top guy, but one of of the better guys. He fell in line with kind of what they got money-wise. So I think that one turned out to just be a, perfectly fair deal and we're at the point now with Seth Lugo you know missing some time I imagine he's gonna miss at least the month of April if not some of May (laughs) that means May will have to step up in a big way so wow I I went from May May step up in a big way nice uh just x just all around beauty and art perfect but yeah Trevor May is ultimately going to be maybe a way bigger cog in this bullpen early on than he may have even expected to be. Uh, yeah, exactly. You look back now at that signing and go, wow, thank God they made that. Because, sure, they made another bullpen signing and a guy like Aaron Loop, a one-year $3 million deal, but a different kind of role for him. And once again, you're trying to add volume to this bullpen. And maybe there is a move left in the tank here, like a Trevor Rosenthal. That would be a big addition. So it's good to come out swinging and get May done early. Obviously, you and I were huge fans of Stroman coming back because the pitching market is hard to predict, as we saw with Trevor Bauer, a guy that internally they thought they had. And things can change very quickly. And then you would, if you didn't have Stroman coming back, you'd probably go out and overpay a guy like Odorizzi at, at this very moment. So, you know... The one, and I'm really glad you said it, that I think is going to be really good, really surprise people, and really have a role in the clubhouse that is very, very vital for being the catcher is James McCann. I just think that 
he has made drastic improvements or drastic leap over the last two years. And I think it's legit. I don't think it's a lightning in a bottle. I don't think it's flash in a pan. Uh, you know, is he ever going to be more than your seventh or eighth hitter? Probably not. And that's okay for your catcher. He's got some pop. I think he's got a really good arm behind the plate, something the the Mets just have not had in a long time. They could barely even hold runners. So I think McCann is going to be that signing that you look at and go, okay, he's making $10 million a year, which in baseball is is not really a significant salary. Sure, it's a good one, and he was a free agent and got his payday that he deserved, but he's not making $20 million a year or $30 million a year. And I just think McCann's one of those ones we'll look back and go, man, that's that's a good evaluating and, and you know just a good strategy of this offseason rather than chasing JT, who's phenomenal, but just a different price point. So staying with the the Tier 1 moves, right? We went through the signings. Those were the three that, that have some good chunk of change behind them. Now the Tier 1 trade, which of course was Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco. Carrasco definitely in the mold of, and he's been better for a longer time, but definitely in the mold of how you project him into the rotation like Stroman, that number two, that number three guy where you look at this rotation and you go DeGrom, number one, he'd be number one on anyone's staff. Carrasco and Stroman, two and three, however you want to order them. And obviously, you know, you have Peterson, a lot of options as the the fifth starter, and Noah Syndergaard coming back. Francisco Lindor changes the identity of this team in terms of the speed he brings, the personality he brings, uh, the pop at the position, the glove at shortstop, so vital. But Carlos Carrasco being in this deal, this was the move of the offseason. It was what you and I wanted Lindor. That was always the move. We didn't know Carrasco could, you know, also be in this package. The first time we ever brought up acquiring Lindor many, many months ago before the offseason even started. But this was absolutely the tier one move, the big dog move. And sure, the Mets didn't get a, you know, a Trevor Bauer or a Real Muto or George Springer. And I think you and I are disappointed about Springer, not so much the other two. But getting Lindor and Carrasco in a package is absolutely the face of this offseason. Oh, there's no question about it. And like you said, Springer is a little disappointing, especially kind of given where they're at in the outfield now. But they would have had that. They would have figured it out. But the puzzle would have been just as complicated as, as we're talking in regards to Jackie Bradley Jr., you know, everyone's like, oh, well, if the Mets sign Jackie Bradley and there's no DH, how are they going to handle playing Pete, Dom, and Nimmo every day? Because they all need to be in the lineup. If they signed Springer, might have been a little easier to deal with that because you have had the premier player in center field. So I, I think we can look back and say, you know, it kind of stinks that they weren't willing to go to $150 million. For Springer on that deal and $25 million a year when they were willing to give Trevor Bauer $40 million a year for, granted, much shorter time frame. But that's certainly something you can look back and question. But Lindor, Carrasco, I mean, I think it's almost forgotten at this point. All I see on Twitter is people complaining that they didn't get Springer or Bauer or Real Muto, to your point. And the reality is they got a player who's like a lot better than any of them. It just so happened that he wasn't a free agent. But how about the fact that they traded some assets to get him in Isaiah Green, Josh Wolf, 
uh, for prospects. And then, of course, Andres Jimenez and Ahmed Rosario from the big league roster. And Lindor is going to sign an extension with the Mets, whether that's this spring or next offseason. And Francisco Lindor is going to get probably $300 million, give or take, in that deal. So it's not a free agent signing per se, but it's arguably the best shortstop in the sport. 27 years old, like you said, impact in the running game, in the field, in the clubhouse, at the plate. He's he's everything you could look for in a franchise player. And Mets fans should, I mean, frankly, looking having this trade is different than anything the Mets have done in a long time. So if you try to sit there and say it's the same old Mets or, you know, what's different, they got Francisco Lindor. The Wilpons would not have gotten Francisco Lindor. And if they did, they would have rented him and then let him go for a draft pick next year. They wouldn't have signed him. And I think with Cookie Carrasco, he's almost forgot, like super forgotten in this trade. People don't realize how good Carrasco is. He's a legitimate number two starter. He's been tremendous for quite a few years now. So he is a he's a big deal here. And if I were doing my opening day rotation, he would start game two. And then Stroma would start game three. So I think Carrasco's a significant addition. And I think he almost goes so under the radar. I mean, the, the trade as a whole does because fans are so for whatever reason, focused on free agency and the spending of money, whatever. The reality is it's about acquiring premier players however you could get them, whether that's trade, whether that's the MLB draft, whether that's free agency, international free agency, doesn't matter. It's about acquiring good players, and the Mets acquired two very, very good ones in this day, in this trade. You're spot on. I think when you look at you know, it's it's really the difference of labeling them as free agent signings or trade acquisitions. And at the end of the day, it's all acquisitions. And I think, you know, we we often, I know I'm guilty of this. You almost like forget last season because it was so quick. It was so short. And sure, the lineup was really good. But, I mean, we were watching Rick Porcello pitch all the time. Michael Waka. Uh, I mean, they were just randomly start you know they put guys they put gazelman they put gazelman and lugo back in the rotation yeah for Uh, two or three innings at it's like the strategy behind it was atrocious because they weren't stretched out and then it just bled into the bullpen and they weren't any good anyway as starters and also now this this is going to segue me to the next portion of this the guys that were six seventh and eight starters were barely pitchers in the majors at times where now you go out and, you know, instead of watching Porcello and Waka, it's, you know, it's Stroman and Carrasco and, but they, they made a lot of moves um, to lengthen this team, whether it's the bench or the rotation. So I'll go through those really quick and then we'll cap it off with, with one move that was for the farm system, but really here, you know, they made two trades to lengthen the rotation, and that's Joey Lucchese and Jordan Yamamoto, guys that are not really projected necessarily to be in this rotation. Although we'll see with Lucchese. We don't know if the Mets are going to go after a guy like Odorizzi right now or Walker or however they want to handle this. It's going to be very interesting. When Syndergaard's going to be ready to come back. But the bottom line is you get Lucchese and Yamamoto really for nothing, and you feel better about them having to 
start doubleheaders or fill in for an injury or whatever role it may be. And then you look at how the bench now projects. Obviously, the most recent one being a guy like Kevin Pillar, who's essentially on a one-year $5 million deal. It can become a two-year deal, uh, you know, player option, a team option, a lot of different ways. But just know he he's really going to be playing on a one-year deal as it stands right now to essentially be the fourth outfielder. Another guy they signed for that outfield role to not star, Albert Almora, one-year $1.25 million deal. Potential bench bat, Jose Martinez, one-year $1 million deal. Jonathan VR, a player that I really, really like for this bench, one-year $3.55 million. And then another arm for in Sam McWilliams on a one-year $850,000 deal. I argued with Joe that you need to make at least a million dollars to make the notable signing segment, but he is clearly Sam McWilliams' biggest fan, so he made the list. So, a lot of names, a lot of moves, and I'll say it. Is it the most exciting? No. But are they going into the Aaron Altairs of the world or things like that or really aging Carlos Gomez or whoever it may be? It's good to have legitimate major league players that are either that are either in fourth and fifth outfield roles or super utility roles or even in Syracuse as a call-up if a guy like Dom or like Pete gets banged up that has some pop that can hit like Martinez. So the Mets made a lot of small moves after some of the big ones to really, really just give this team some volume at play. The small moves are really, I know they don't excite the fan base, but the small moves are truly, you know, often the difference between a good and a great team. You know, stars make all the difference in the world. You know, we can't deny the difference that a George Springer would make. But like you said, you're bound to have injuries. You're bound to have poor performance where you need to call people up. And the last thing you want to do is spend three weeks playing Aaron Altair every day in the outfield. And the Mets have gone through the rigor of some, I mean, if we really sat and thought about it, we could probably think of the random ass players that got, oh, that, that got into this lineup and the Mets 40 man roster and certain, and even some non roster invites to spring training, they got some interesting guys there, but the depth of this team is so much, so much better. It's, it's literally not even comparable. And then you look at from the rotation perspective, Right now, Joey Lucchese and Jordan Yamamoto are likely competing for the fifth spot where we stand today. And that, that, is, that is one question that they still have to answer here, in my opinion, is they traded Steven Matz. And they got AAA depth in Sean Reed Foley and Yenzi Diaz. And they got the right-hand pitcher Josh Winkowski, who they eventually, two weeks later, traded in the deal to, uh, for the prospect that we're going to talk about in a minute. But... You ha- you do have to partially question that deal, even though you know now looking at it weeks later with adding someone like Khalil Lee into the fold. All right, it probably worked out, but if you weren't planning to add another starting pitcher, I'm curious what the thought process was in trading Mats when they did. They must have been completely sold that they were getting Trevor Bauer, and it just ended up falling falling apart and not happening. But Hopefully they're still able to pivot and upgrade on Lucchese and Yamamoto because they both have a minor league option remaining. So I'd love for those guys to be headlining the Syracuse staff. And if you could add, like you said, an Odorizzi or a Taiwan Walker, or if there's 
someone out there on the trade market that we have no idea that could come and actually be a genuine fourth or fifth starter here. You're looking at AAA having Lucchese, Yamamoto, Franklin Kilome, Sean Reed Foley, Yenzi Diaz, then, you know, a veteran like Jared Eikhoff and uh, Corey Oswald. I know he's someone that it, we kind of just made fun of a couple minutes ago, but he's a guy that if he's your like ninth or 10th starter, that's okay. I mean, you shouldn't, you, you really shouldn't need 10 starters. That means a lot went wrong. And they even signed uh, Mike Montgomery, too, so, who could be a reliever or a starter. So he signed a minor league deal the other day. So I think the starting pitching depth is great. And or, or I shouldn't say great, but it's as good as it's been in some time. And hopefully they add one more guy to the rotation. So that way you could kind of push everyone down. And then in a couple months, when Noah Syndergaard is good to go, then everyone goes down another rung on the ladder if you know everyone's healthy and, and things pan out. So... I think, I really think 2021 is going to be kind of almost like how the NFL and and teams handled it this year, where it's like the healthiest team is going to win. I think the 60-game season is going to impact the amount of innings that starters are going to be able to throw, or at least some of them. Like, are you you really going to be pushing guys to 220 innings this year? You might not. And you're going to have more injuries as people are now playing 162 again instead of 60. So you need those extra outfielders, those extra infielders, those extra relievers, and obviously, like I mentioned, those extra starters. So I think building depth for 2021 is a great thing, and I think the Mets did a really good job all in all in the depth. So we'll see if they have anything else up their sleeves. With Like you mentioned Trevor Rosenthal. They they could use another reliever. So if, if there's a reliever and a starter that they still could get, that'd be nice, but... I don't understand short of if your expectation was they had to sign a premium free agent or the offseason stunk, which I don't agree with that perspective, but there are people that have it. I, I don't see how you could think the Mets had a bad offseason by any means. Well, and we're going to wrap this up with grades. I'll make that clear. Before we do go there, I think a conversation that a lot of Mets fans are are centered in on right now is the starting pitching market because there are two somewhat key names left on it, I would say, in Jake Odorizzi and Taiwan Walker. And they're guys that if they're your fifth starter, then which they would be for the Mets, then great. I mean, <laughs> sure, absolutely. With what happened with Paxton and maybe a couple other veteran starters, but I think Paxton's the most recent example as the Mets were apparently somewhat in do you think that they're just really letting this go down to the wire and whatever guy is left, they feel they can get on a bargain value? Do you, Or do you think, Joe, that they are actually comfortable with what they have right now going into this season in this rotation, partially because Cindergard will be back? I don't think they're willing to necessarily be like the winner of a bidding war. I, like, I don't think they're looking to, you know, meet either Taiwan Walker or Odorizzi's like dream expectations, they they have to fall to what the Mets are willing to pay. And if they do, I think they'll sign them. If not, then I think you're going to see them talk up Joey Lucchese and Jordan Yamamoto. And ultimately, like you said, the return of Noah Syndergaard. So in April, you often don't use a fifth starter all that much. So 
you're only really getting a few weeks out of them. So if all else fails, that they certainly can do that. So for me, I'd rather just get the locked in guy. And then if when Noah comes back, if somehow everyone's healthy and performing, then oh darn, we have a problem. We have too many good starting pitchers. Like I'll I'll deal with that when when I get there. But ultimately at that at that stage, you might send David Peterson down to AAA. And then you're even more set depth wise. So for me, I be I would have been more aggressive on James Paxton, just to be clear. They only offered him six million, I believe Mike Puma said, and he signed for eight and a half. I, I'm not a doctor. I don't have his medicals, but assuming they're not horrific, I wouldn't have an, had an issue going one year ten million on James Paxton and saying we got upside at the back end of, back end of our rotation. Cinder Guard is going to come back with even more. So that's what I would have done. But we'll see if they uh, if they move on either Walker or Odorizzi and kind of really close out this rotation and making it a super strength. I agree with you. I think if I have any gripe with Sandy at times, and there's no reason to have to do this anymore with Cohen in ownership, I, I think there's times where he can draw the line in the sand, and that's really good. And I think there's times where it's frustrating. Like for, And once again, we are outsiders looking in. We don't have his medicals. I would have went to 10 mil for Paxton as well. You take a swing, and it's a one-year deal. So if it doesn't work, who cares? Literally no one. No one cares. I just think that when you look at it, I, that's not the kind of guy, because it's a one-year deal, that I get into the penny-pinching of it for so and another thing that's another thing another thing that sandy did say at the initial press conference which i think it warrants bringing back up is he said we're going to prioritize the acquisition over the cost and i'm sure some people took that as if they want a guy they'll pay whatever they have to do to get him that doesn't necessarily mean that but i think i think they have to not like you said kind of penny pinch in, in these scenarios, I understand drawing a line, but for me, I'm more drawing a line on the Trevor Bauer deals or the George Springer deals. You have to draw a line when you're issuing a because there's long term ramifications. Exactly. On those. If you're talking about a one year, like to me, what is and they're not near the luxury tax, so it's not like six versus ten million is going to put them over the luxury tax. Like, what's the difference between six and ten on one year at this point? For me, I don't see it, but they they hopefully have something else that they're thinking of that I that I, I don't know. Yeah, I know. Well, and we'll see. I mean, who knows? Maybe next show we're talking about a signing and and everything's all good. But the last acquisition was an interesting one. They did find their way into the Benatendi trade somehow, and they get Khalil Lee. An exciting outfield prospect, a guy that I know Joe is excited to talk about uh, that will probably be, I would think, in Joe's top 10 Mets prospects because, you know, the barrier to entry in that isn't exactly the most difficult these days, but also a player that can play in their upper minor league system in the outfield, just something they really didn't have. So I think for Khalil Lee, an exciting name to keep an eye on. I was excited at how they pulled off that trade and in, in getting him, it felt like they really so far, there's a player to be named later, but so far the return wasn't anything crazy. So I'll, I'll put a button on the off season for me and, and give out a grade. And, and I, for me, it's a B plus. And I'll say the one 
legitimate gripe I have, and obviously it's just it's a personal preference issue. I think that if you were apparently willing to go over the tax, I would have done it for Springer instead of Bauer. And you're talking about pro- much different money per year. You're talking about a few different things. A much better person, I think, in the clubhouse, I would think as well. Sure, there's the argument that Springer might not be playing center field in a couple of years. But the bat he has, the consistency he has, and the ability to be a defensive, you know, lock in center field for the for the immediate would have been a big upgrade that I thought was worth pushing for. And I just wasn't I it was surprised me how crazy they were willing to get for Bauer, but they wouldn't do that for Springer. Now, those are just nitpicking things. I will say a B plus is a great grade for an offseason. I am so excited to watch Francisco Lindor play for the Mets. I cannot wait to root for Carlos Carrasco and his continued comeback to baseball after beating cancer and being one of the more underrated pitchers in baseball. I can't wait to see James McCann behind the plate, a real catcher behind the plate, building a rapport with these pitchers. I'm excited to see, you know, some of the depth signings that they've made that will have to contribute at times. So I thought it was an exciting offseason. Like I said, I still think they have a move left in them. Did they have this crazy offseason where I think they're a legitimate World Series contender? No, I'm not willing to go there. But did they improve enough and solve enough needs and get a star player, a face of the franchise player at a premium position that can really begin this Steve Cohen era? Absolutely. So overall, I'm really excited. I think they did a good job. They're not a perfect team but they did make pretty good use of their resources overall. And I'm actually going to go a little higher than you. I I, I was curious who was going to have a higher grade, me or you, but I guess it's me. I'm going A-. minus, So not, not a ton higher, but for me, I came into this offseason with the expectations that we have Steve Cohen now. He has a lot of money, but he made it very clear from day one, win a World Series in three to five years, sustained success, don't spend like a drunken sailor. So I registered all that stuff, but I still said, look, you come in, you have to make one impact move. I didn't need two. I would have been excited as hell if they brought in George Springer and had two. But for me, I needed one. And they got, in my opinion, probably the best player that was acquired this offseason. Unless I'm forgetting someone. I, fair point. Nolan Arenado is probably close, but... I think they got the best player that was acquired this offseason in Francisco Lindor. I think Cookie Carrasco is a tremendous addition that I don't think Mets fan, you know, we just talked about a few minutes ago, but I don't think it's something that Mets fans appreciate how good he is. And I think they're going to be really excited when they start watching him pitch. Uh, Everything I'm hearing in regards to Noah Syndergaard's recovery has me super excited for his return. I think Noah's going to come back. I think Thor is coming back to be honest. So I'm really excited to add him to the fold. And like you said, James McCann behind the plate, I'm good there. The depth makes a huge difference. Like I I can't bear watching some of the guys the Mets have put out there for the last few years. And at this point, even if there's an injury or two, they have major league players ready to play. So if they need to fill in, you know, first base, 
a Jose Martinez can go there. If they need to fill in, you know, somewhere on the infield, a Jonathan VR fills in. Or Luis Guillerme, who's still around, obviously. Uh, in the outfield, you set yourself up with Kevin Pillar and Albert Almora to really play the defensive card late in games. Or, you know, sometimes against lefties, you're going to sit Nimmo or Dom. So you need someone to go out there that can play. And the alternative what before the signings of Almora and Pilar was Guillermo Heredia. So they certainly improved there. They added a prospect that I think I'm excited about, about Khalil Lee. I have some questions about him. Uh, he, he will rank in my top 10 prospects, which uh, it's top 20. he's going to be in my top 10 on my top 20 prospect list that's coming out tomorrow um, on SNY.TV. So check that out. But ultimately, did they quote-unquote, do enough to be a World Series contender? Eh, maybe not, but you're not building the World Series contender in the offseason. Ultimately, what you want to do is build a playoff team. And if you look at this Mets roster as currently constructed and say this team is not capable of being in the playoffs, you're I, I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know what you're seeing. This is a playoff-caliber roster on paper. You know They have to play 162, so anything can happen. But ultimately... What you want to do is be good up until a trade deadline. And then at the deadline, if you need a center fielder at that point because something didn't work out, maybe someone will be available. If you need a third baseman because J.D. Davis didn't quite hack it, all right, maybe Chris Bryant becomes available at that point. If you need to add to the pen or rotation, there's always starters and relievers who get traded at the deadline. So ultimately, I think the Mets had a very strong first offseason under Steve Cohen. I think they maintained financial flexibility going forward to the point where, you know, we had the conversations while they were talking to George Springer and talking to Trevor Bauer, like, oh God, what is this going to cost the Mets next year? Because Michael Conforto is a free agent. Francisco Lindor is a free agent. Noah Syndergaard and Marcus Stroman are free agents. They're probably not going to keep all four of them, but you want to keep at least half of them, if not three out of the four. And... If you went ahead and just threw money all over the place, you would have prevented your ability to keep all of those guys or a good percentage of them. So I think they're setting themselves up well. I think they're a playoff caliber team. And, you know, come, they still can make additions like we've talked about. They could still add a starter, add a reliever before the season starts. And then when the deadline comes, they can try to find that Yoannis Cespedes, you know, guy that puts put them over the top like he did in 2015. And I think that's all they need to do. And if they get in the playoffs, at that point, once you're in the dance, you know, everything else doesn't matter. Your record doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you finish in the standings. None of that matters. If you tell me I'm going into a short series with Jacob deGrom, Noah Syndergaard, Cookie Carrasco, Marcus Stroman, you know, any any combination of those We've guys. We've seen it before. Yeah, I am confident that those guys can pitch the Mets deep into the playoffs. 100% confident in those arms. So, And they have they have offense. They have pop. They've added some speed now. And even if some of that's on the bench, you know, they could pull a Jonathan VR late in games and have him pinch run. Uh, Kevin Pillar could run the bases. Almora could run a little bit. So they, they've upgraded their athleticism. Their, I would say their defense, but the DH kind of screwed that a little bit. But in... In places, they've upgraded at shortstop, major upgrade, obviously, defensively. 
and then the backups in the outfield so you can do late game switches and, and upgrade that defense so yeah I, I give them an a minus I think if they if they had another legitimate starting pitcher I might up it to an a but yeah I, I don't see how you could be unhappy with the offseason I agree with you you got to come away optimistic positive you're never going to go into the season perfect. We've always said this, uh, you know, maybe the Dodgers think they're there, but just not a lot of teams really do that. So I think it's, there's a lot of positive thoughts right now and a lot of reason to be excited. And I think that, you know, like you said, maybe they're not done. Maybe there's another signing. Maybe they are in such contention that you make a trade deadline play to get you over the hump. And maybe the price goes down on a Chris Bryant who will be pending free agent. Or maybe you check in with the Reds on a Gray and Suarez package. Things along the lines like that. But let's get into some of the questions today because, as always, we have some really, really good ones. The first one from Paul Mundinger. Speaking of trade packages, could you comment on what potential packages would look like for Luis Castillo or Chris Bryant? Could you compare these to the package for Suarez slash Gray that you mentioned on an earlier pod? In the case of Castillo... Could you lessen the return by taking on a bad contract with him? Joe, I put it on the platter. Run away with it. Yeah, I mean, taking a bad contract always helps. There's no way around that. Do they have one? Mike, the Mus- Reds? Mike Moustakis, maybe? Um, I know he makes a lot of money and hasn't really performed to expectations, but that would be kind of their, their bad contract, quote-unquote. I'm going to be honest here. Luis Castillo, if I were the Reds, this is a young, under control for three years, not just good, frontline starter so if I were calling if the Mets were calling me and I were Cincinnati I would say you can start your deal with David Peterson Francisco Alvarez and Matt Allen and then we'll and then we'll talk that's right that's where I would start this is a Cy Young level pitcher who's under control at little money for three years I don't see I don't. The Reds have no incentive to trade Castillo. I don't know why they would even think about it at this stage. Maybe in a year or two when he's closer to free agency and you don't intend to keep him. Um, but yeah, if you want to trade for Castillo, that cost is going to be rather uncomfortable. So I, I don't see that one. I know it was kind of thrown out there. And that, I'm going to tell you, that MLB.com article kind of annoyed me because the offseason's essentially over. And for all intents and purposes. And, you know, it's time to start talking about spring training. And they had to put out an article that, let's let's face it, I mean, I deal with it too. And, you know, now you're in it too. So now you're in baseball media. But the media, we, we sort of set expectations for fans. And there's going to be fans out there that read that article that if the Mets don't make another significant trade, that they're going to think the Mets did something wrong. When the reality is they probably weren't doing a trade at this point. And MLB.com just threw it out based on some executive's hunch. So that article annoyed me. Um, but yeah, Castillo, don't see it. Uh, Chris Bryant, I think that's probably on hold. I mean, Jed Hoyer basically said today that they haven't had talks in a while. The team that they have is pretty much the team they're going to go start the season with against the Pirates. And yeah, I think Chris Bryant is a discussion you talk about in July. Well, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword, right? Because you're 100% right on, Joe, that it creates unfair expectations. And and the Mets are an easy fan base to capitalize on now in terms of hype. 
because they've just been fed this info that the there is endless money with Cohen to the point where the expectations are to be reckless almost where you know they've been vocal about this they don't have the farm system to go out and and make a ton of trades like that you saw the Lindor one but that was a unique situation where one the return was relatively underwhelming two it was because everybody everybody knew that Cleveland was moving on from Lindor so I'm with you but on the flip side the reason I called double-edged sword is because baseball so desperately needs to make their offseason more interesting, right? Because, you know, as I sit here and, and cover two sports now, as you said, but also observe what the NBA does, the offseason can be just as powerful, if not more powerful, than the actual season of whatever sport you're talking about. The NFL has mastered it, the NBA has mastered it, and baseball is trying to catch up, and that's probably why, you know, in a sense that stories like that can be juicy. It's just one way of looking at it. I'm not saying it's it's not really the best approach all the time, but on the flip side, there are reasons to try to make the hot stove just seem more interesting. So the next one is from underscore Heedle. Who are your guys? This is a great question for us. Who are you guys three or so favorite non-Mets in the league currently? Joe, you want to take this one first? Three or four. I'm going to go Mookie Betts first. He's my favorite player in baseball. He's super exciting. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. is right yep. there, too, with him. And then I I hate – it's it's really tough because I just hate the team he plays on. But, boy, do I love Ronald Acuna Jr. as a player. Like, I wish he was just wearing a different uniform. But, yeah, to me, Ronald Acuna is one of the most fun players, true five-tool guy. Like, he's going to – I think he's going to go 40-40 this year. Like he is, he is a truly special talent. And then that, you know, then you have guys like Mike Trout, obviously, who are elite. uh, And you, I enjoy defense too. So I love watching a guy like Matt Chapman play in Oakland, who has a really special glove. So yeah, no, there's so many good fun players in baseball. And uh, I think the, the youth of the game right now is as good as it's been in a while. I, I mean, you look at Juan Soto, you look at Ronald Acuna. You look at Fernando Tatis. I mean, you have l- legitimate superstars that I th- that I think really get it. Like they get what it means to be a superstar too. They're not just really good young players. Like I think Fernando Tatis is ready to be the face of baseball. I mean, he's gonna be on the cover of MLB The Show. Uh, so yeah, no, I think the the game, you know, hopefully is heading in the right direction interest wise. But I think you're seeing kind of a, a new group of guys step to the forefront as kind of like the face of the game. And I think you're looking at Acuna Soto and Fernando Tatis as those guys. I'm with you. I, I would add for me personally, and this just is how I gravitate depending on the fantasy baseball season. Javi Baez is another one for me. I just love watching him play the energy he has, obviously what he can do uh, with the bat, with the glove. I just think he's a, a really exciting player. And I felt that way about Lindor. That's another reason why it's so exciting. Now we can't use him because he's on the Mets. But Lindor was absolutely one of those guys that you just love watching play. And Tatis is so good for the game. He's just so good for the game because of his style of play, how freakishly talented he is, whether it's, it's really everything he does. It's just so good for baseball. So 
And I agree with you too that Acuna is it's it's the Braves, right? So it, same for Soto. Like I hate Soto, hate him <laughs> the way he mocks pitcher. But he's yeah. tremendous. Yeah. He's an amazing baseball player. Such a good hitter at such a young age. Like we almost forget how young he is that he's doing this. Baseball has a lot of young talent in it right now. They really, really do. So. It's, you know, it's just a lot of it happens to be in the NL East, unfortunately. That's the issue in all of this, is that we don't always get to root for those guys. Hopefully hopefully they just can't afford them in a couple of years. Yeah, well, you know the Nationals will pay Soto, like, uh, deferred payments for, like, it, <laughs> 100 years, four generations <laughs> of his family. Hey, St- oh my St- Steve Cohen, save your pennies. Yeah. Hey, sure. <laughs> the next question from Aaron Brazell. What's the bench look like now post-Pilar signing? Uh, will they carry both him and Almora? Is Guillaume guaranteed a spot? So I'll start with the saying that as it stands right now, they just don't have a lot in the outfield, so I think they will carry both of them. And if now if there's a... It's interesting, right? If there's a DH added, how does that change things? Guillaume, you need his glove. You just need his glove because VR is, yes, he's the super utility guy, but he's not a glove at all. Like Joe likes to say, he just can stand somewhere. VR is a good hitter that plays a ton of positions, but Guillaume is going to be your defensive replacement where I don't see how he doesn't make this team, Joe. Yeah, for me, Guillaume is a lock. And uh, for Aaron, just want to let you know that I did. we saw and initially had your question about Mauricio in here and... I'll address that in, kind of in my article tomorrow for SNY for top 20 prospects. So give that a peek and, you know, that, that'll touch on some of your Mauricio stuff. But appreciate you offering two questions so we were able to hit this one. Um, but, yeah, Guillaume, I think he has to be guaranteed a spot. Like you said, he's the best defensive behind Lindor now. He's the second best defensive player that the Mets have. So he's got to be on this team, and he's not even a slouch with the bat. I mean, he had an awesome 2020 at the dish. So I I think Guillerme is a lock, and I think this bench where we stand today has Guillerme, VR, Pilar, and by the way, isn't it great that they have VR and Pilar? Like two like kind of weird names that are almost the same. Um, it's not great for podcasts. I know. Well, fortunately, it's like Pilar and VR. So it's the, the L's aren't I just pronounced. did it, though. I said Pilar. <laughs> and I didn't say that the whole show. This is exact oh, problems geez. with it. Yeah. All right. So Mets figure this out. Uh, then you add Nito, of course, behind the plate. And then I, I think the last bench spot is a competition between Albert Almora and Jose Martinez. So are you looking for that slugger off the bench? Or are you looking for kind of that true center field defense off the bench. So I think that competition will be interesting. And the fun part about that one is they both have a minor league option left. So the loser of that doesn't need to get DFA'd or released or gone. The loser could just go to Syracuse. So I think that that helps that a lot of the a lot of the moves the Mets made had guys with minor league options in it. So I think that that's going to help kind of with your depth. So for me, yeah, I think Guillermo's guaranteed a spot. Uh, I think him, VR, Nito, and Pillar are the gar- the guaranteed bench guys. And then you have Almora versus Martinez for that final spot. All right, final question for today's episode, episode number 30. This is from MetsFan04. Uh, so nice, sent the question in twice. So we, we appreciate we appreciate that. 
What are your favorite baseball-related childhood hobbies and memories? Did you collect baseball cards, try to obtain autographs of games, gather friends for a wiffle ball game, favorite baseball video games growing up? God, basically all the above to those questions. But yes, I collected baseball cards. I wish I uh, had, with the card market the way it is right now, I really need to go to my parents' house and dig through those. But it is, I would say like one cool Mets-related story I have is, one time I was watching batting practice and I was in left field, and I got a, a Cliff Floyd just smashed one <laughs> into the left field bleachers, and I just sprinted over and grabbed it. So I still have that baseball somewhere. And Cliff was like, Cliff was the man. So like getting a a batting practice home run ball from Cliff was super fun. Um, I did go into the bullpen once, kind of by accident at Shea. I don't know if I've told that story. No, on here before. You have not. I haven't told that story. No. On here. So. Okay, so I'll make this I'll make a very long story somewhat short. Basically, for Rusty Staub's uh foundation every year, which is the Widows and Orphans Foundation, you know, and rest in peace, Rusty, he did so many great things. My dad, being on the FDNY, used to be one of the like cook like volunteer cooks at the organization every year for the widows and and orphans foundation, which did a lot of FDNY related things. So I would go to this game a couple of years in a row because my dad would be a volunteer at it. And while he was working and I I was pretty young, I guess I would just like walk. I would just do my own thing. I'd usually have like one of his coworkers kids with me too, but we were still young kids and I would just wander around and we would get to the ballpark so early like as a kid we never got to the ballpark that early because my parents didn't want to freaking be there all day but this was the one game of the year where we would be there i'm talking like i don't know like i'm talking like eight hours in advance something crazy so one time um jay payton was in center field and chatted with him a little bit super super cool and then really didn't have anything else to do so me and this other kid saw that there was no security guard where the bullpen was and the door was open and it was like that giant wall style door when you get through the bullpen that goes on to center field so I just wandered into the bullpen there was no one there and then wandered into the outfield didn't go very far I didn't like go to second base or anything like that but I just got to stand on the outfield grass I can't believe there was no security guard around or anything I was just a stupid idiot little kid and then I just walked back to where my dad was helping set up like nothing ever happened. And that's how I ended up on the Shea Stadium outfield grass. Huh. That's that's actually a fun story. Good for you. I, yeah. I, I never got yeah. I never got on the field at Shea. Um, but for childhood, yeah, I collected baseball cards for sure. Uh, I, I had the trapper keepers and all and all that stuff and binders with with that in there. Uh, I remember playing Little League and getting the pack of cards with the with the bubble gum. Um, I was not even as a kid. I really wasn't a huge a huge autograph guy. That's never been something that's really done that much for me, to be totally honest. Um, yeah, that never really cared for that. I, I have I have a handful of autographs. I have a David Wright autograph uh, on a baseball that I got at in St. Lucie. I was kind of a young adult at this point, to be honest. But when they did the bowling alley uh, events, so like at Duffy's, they have a bowling alley. I don't know. Connor, have you been to St. Lucie or no? I haven't. Oh, all right. But Crap. fun fact, ne- my, next my spring grandparents owned a house there. Oh, wow. So, okay. And I I never got to go down there before they passed away. 
But that used to, like, my parents used to go. My dad said it's it's just the best. Oh, yeah. Next spring, we have to plan, like, a weekend. Uh, and, and we'll head down to St. Lucie for a weekend. And, I mean, it's kind of a boring town. It, like, if you like chain restaurants, like, you're good. But, like, it's chain restaurants, it's Duffy's, and then it's Mets. So, like, for a weekend, it's super fun. Um, so they, at the time, and they, they have since stopped doing this, where they would have, like, a team bowling event every week. I think Terry Collins ran it or yeah, I think it was Terry. And uh, yeah, I remember just going there and you just watch the Mets bowl. And then uh, I've hung out with Justin Turner at a bar. Um, you know, David Wright signed a baseball for me. Uh, have, have, I mean, that's a great autograph to have. Oh yeah, for sure. I have that one. Um, I have Granderson on his bobblehead box the day he had his bobblehead day. Um, I was able to get that signed. But yeah, autographs don't really do much for me. Um, I used to play a lot of baseball in the street with my friends back in the day and draw the bases with chalk and everything. And I was a dumb kid that slid sometimes. Um, so yeah. Scrape your entire yep, leg up. Scrape my leg up and just deal with it. But uh, favorite baseball video games growing up. Man, to me, MVP 05 is still the, the GOAT That's baseball the game. Yep. That's the GOAT baseball game. I think MLB The Show is really awesome, and I get that every single year. Now, at this point, I think that's a really good game. But MVP 05 is the GOAT. There's no question. And whoever I forget what the player's name was for Barry Bonds because Barry Bonds wasn't in the game. Or his, couldn't, he, use his couldn't use his name and likeness. So there was just some dude... Someone tweet us, what was the guy's name that was Barry Bonds in MVP 05? But I remember trading for him on the Mets all the time and uh, just slugging John dingers. Dowd. John Dowd. <laughs> there you go. You don't even need to tweet us. Connor has Google. Um, but yeah, John Dowd, I used to trade for him on the Mets all the time and just slug dingers. Uh, but yeah, no, baseball growing up, really most most fond memories is like going to games with my mom. Uh, we go to Shea Stadium at least once a month. Uh, we did... You know, the last game at Shea, the first game at City Field. Yeah, so growing up, baseball was super big for me. And minor league baseball is really big for me because I live 10 minutes from, it's in New Haven. They were the New Haven Ravens. They were in the Eastern League with the Binghamton Mets and them. So I used to go see the Double A Mets all the time. They were a few minutes down the road. And uh, my, I'll make, I don't know if I told my story of, being involved with that it's not really Mets related but I think some people would find it cool um, when I was like eight or nine years old uh, my mom entered me into a contest at a local sub shop to be like bat boy for the day uh, for the New Haven Ravens and I won and ended up going and doing it and you know being a bat boy pretty tough job uh, especially as an eight or nine year old but Got through, oh, yeah. got through the game and it was it was fun to be on the field and interact with the players and uh, at the time the Ravens were the Rockies affiliate they had they switched around they were the Blue Jays at one point the Mariners but when I did it they were the Rockies and I remember at the end of the game you know I'm in the locker room everyone's getting changed all that good stuff which was super uncomfortable for a little kid um, but anyway it was happening and then. Two guys came up to me and they said, all right, Joe, you did such a great job being Bat Boy today. Uh, you have two choices. And one guy goes, you could have, you know, the baseball from the end of the game and I'll get the whole team to sign it. Remind you, as I said a couple minutes ago, never liked autographs. So, Not an autograph so guy. Even then, yeah. I was just like, 
eh, whatever. Okay. And then the other guy goes, or you can have my bat that I used today. And I was like, oh, bat. I was like, give me the bat. And who the hell knows who this guy is, right? Well, I still have the bat. It's at my mom's. So I'll I'll make a note next time I go see my mom to to grab it and take a picture and put it on our Twitter. But I still have the bat to this day. It's uh, uh, one of the light stain bats. And it says, Colorado Rockies player, Todd Helton. So you've got to be kidding. Me. Yeah. So Todd Helton <laughs> had no idea who he was at the time. I was just a little kid, but I remember it was just a bat or a baseball signed by a bunch of guys, which if you like autographs, like I can't imagine you would like an autograph with 30 names on it or baseball with 30 names on it. You want it lessens the value. Exactly. Too. So I was like, give me that bat. Had no clue who the guy was. It could have been Connor Rogers for as far as I was concerned, but I just wanted the game used bat. So, yes, I have a double-A game-use bat of Todd Helton. That is phenomenal. That I mean, you're talking about just Put him in the Hall of Fame. Incredible. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. just a great player. Yeah. Yeah, so that, wow. that that's my baseball story. But, yeah, I like you and like most people listening, baseball has been a passion of mine as long as I can remember. And uh, it will be for as long as I'm able to go. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, if anything, Joe, that showed me and our audience that you just have great instincts. I mean, it's, you were just a, like me, because I think I was eight or something around that time as well when I did the, the whole bullpen thing. I mean, you're just an idiot kid, and you made a phenomenal choice. Yeah, I was a dumb phenomenal. kid, and you, you kind of did something you it was kind of illegal and not supposed to be done, and I just made, oh, a, so and I, and I just made a good decision. <laughs> yeah. Wow, but you, but is... hey, you got you got you got to be on the field at Shea Stadium. That's something I can never say that I've done. So that's uh that's awesome. Well, I remember the one thing I remember from it because I walked like you know the warning track and then really didn't go much further after that was that the grass even back then felt like felt like unlike anything I'd ever stood on in my life. And I had been playing every sport at the time on you know obviously crappy fields and. Eventually, when I tra- played travel baseball, I did play at a couple minor league places and nothing crazy. But that, I will never... And now I cover football. So when I go to, especially college games, when it's more scouting, I go down... When you have a credential, you could just... College, they don't care about anything. You could walk right on the field <laughs> during pregame. I don't... I just... Nothing ever felt like that grass before at Shea. It was like... Just ridiculous. It was like being on a trampoline, almost. That's the, it's like one of those weird baseball memories you just for, will forever have. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, ba- baseball lawn keeping is uh, a, a very special thing, especially especially major right. league. And at that, a good way to close the show. Not really fully Mets related. Not trade packages. Not anything. Just good old fashioned baseball memories. Joe, do you have any final closing thoughts for episode 30? No, nah, I thought, thought it was a great episode. And, uh, you know, I appreciate all the questions and, and everything that everyone's doing. You know, please share share the show. Rate it five stars. Leave us some reviews on Apple Podcasts so we could read them on here. And, yeah, no, I, I'm just excited and ready for baseball. Like, I'm ready to put the hot stove season behind us. Uh, when I ask for questions next week, I ask, please, let's – Let's stop bringing up trade proposals. Let's let's give that a little bit of a break and let's start focusing on the Mets team that's going to be on the field in 2021 cuz I can't wait. I think that's pretty fair. I think we're going to finally have some tangible 
uh, some real results and games to analyze soon. It'll be fun to even have spring training on and some of the different camp battles, roster battles, all those things. So thank you so much. We'll catch you guys next week. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're Black. It's the story of a decades-long struggle of Black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dodds. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.